Blog Talk Radio. Y'all come back next month. 
<laughs> okay, let's see. Chat line is opening up. Let's see. We don't want to have people out there waiting. And we don't. So, okay. All right. Okay, well, you guys, let's just start off here. We'll take a deep breath and let's get going. Uh, Rodney, what's going on in your life today? Let's start out a little bit different. Let's just do something different tonight. <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> I like the idea of deflection. I like it. I like it. I saw it a lot last night in the uh, Democratic debate with Hillary Clinton. Every time they asked her a question uh, and she didn't have a good answer, she wanted to deflect it and talk about other things. Uh, so so we just gonna, we just going to act like Hillary and deflect questions. <laughs> no, but, but seriously. Idea. Huh? That's a good idea. <laughs> Uh, no, but seriously, um, life is life is busy, um, but life is good at the same time, and and, and so I'm definitely uh, glad to be on on uh, the Butterfly Evolution Show um, another Monday. Um, Mondays are, are are my busiest days because uh, I work all day, and then um, I have basketball practice right after work, and then. Right after basketball practice, uh, I have class, and then after class, uh, we do the show. So Mondays are, are, are very busy for me, but um, I do look forward to each and every Monday uh, and everything that I do on Mondays. Um, they're all beneficial to my life. And, and if that's one thing that I could pass on to other people is that uh, no matter what you're doing in your life, no matter how big or how small, how great um Always make sure that whatever you are doing in your life, it is something that is contributing to your purpose. Um, a lot of times people ask me, uh, how do you manage to do every single thing that you do? And believe it or not, people, I don't have a calendar. Uh, well, I guess technically I have a few. I have one on my phone. I have one sitting on my uh, desk at home. I have one. Uh, in my email, but I hardly ever use them. And so uh, for me, uh, I'm just grateful to God that he allows me to keep up uh, with everything. Yes, Dr. Coretta, we're having a whole lot of fun, as usual. <laughs> she just said that in the uh, the chat room. In the um, chat room? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but but I am, I am definitely grateful to be in a position. But I will say this, every single thing that I do, contributes to my purpose. And I don't sit around uh, every now and then when I need to rest, I do rest. Um, you know, and there are times like this past weekend where I just take the whole weekend and I just rest and relax. But everything that I do contributes to my purpose. I don't I don't waste a whole lot of time. I don't spend a whole lot of time uh, partying or doing things that, that aren't really beneficial to my life. And so um if that's one thing that I can pass on to any and everybody, uh, make sure that you are using your time wisely because you are not going to be on this earth very long. Even if you live to be 70 years old or 80 years old, 90 years old, uh, believe it or not, that is really no time uh, when it comes to God's time. Because if you think about it, even for me at 33 years old, like I still remember things from when I was when I was five like it was yesterday. Like I remember being five and thinking that 30 would never get here, but 30 has come, 
And it's like, man, like, I was just five yesterday. So count your blessings. Take advantage of every opportunity. Don't don't have to live or don't put yourself in a position where you have to live with any regret. So that's how I'm going to start off the show tonight. Okay, right. Now I'm laughing because, okay, I'm, Dr. Credit, this is just how much fun I'm going to have tonight. Okay, number one. I was wondering what what Rodney did to make himself talk in my ear and on my speakerphone. So it wasn't Rodney, it was me because I got my earphones on and I got the speaker on, so he was everywhere. Then I hear him (laughs) talking about 30, and I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I'm having a hot flash, so I cannot, (laughs) I am running all over this. I cannot get (laughs) get rid of this hot flash. And you're talking about 30-something? Somebody asked me how old I was today, and I had to think about it. I couldn't even remember. <laughs> so, that's what's going on. That's how I'm going to start out today. That it's just, I'm looking for me, uh, Dr. Craig, I'm looking for somewhere to go for, just travel for a while and just visit new places and new people. I'm going to bring my work with me. So I'm putting it out there, Dr. Craig, a hint, hint. <laughs> I'm looking for a home to, to visit and stay. I'll stay a little bit at a time, and I'll pay my way. <laughs> That's how bad I need to get away. <laughs> so if anybody's opening up to having a visitor, uh, I'm ready to pack it up. I'm going to be filming and Louise all in one. So I'll start out there. But anyway, um, thank you all for tuning in tonight. And, and uh, Rodney and I was just kind of having fun because we're both having a challenging night, had a challenging week and weekend. So we just don't make light of it and have fun tonight. Um, but at the same time, this is a serious topic. And we're not going to keep you long just because, again, we are um, we are a little bit frazzled tonight and just over. I know I am. And, and I know with Rodney's schedule and that kind of thing, just so much going on. So if we need to, we'll have round two of this. But um, just want to remind you all that the phone lines are open, chat room, chat line, chat room is open. If you're not a registered follower of the show, please do so. Please continue to share uh, that we're on. Although we are we are tired tonight, we're going to continue to do this for as long as we're led to. So y'all bear with us. And some nights you might log on and we might not be there. Like last Monday, we just, we just needed a break. Um, even with today's topic, I found myself getting mentally um, depleted probably because I was already kind of mentally depleted. But this is this story that we're talking about tonight, it's heartbreaking. And as I as I looked up, read up on it and things like that, I realized how long it's been going on. However, I just learned about it not very long ago. And so I'm wondering where has it been all this time in the news on Facebook? And that's why I wanted to go with the title, uh, Does the Flint uh, Water Crisis matter because it doesn't seem that it does to me. I mean, all these other things you'll see post after post after post, but if lives matter, they all matter. So um, and regardless of the, the circumstances or situation, if it matters, it matters. We, can't, we should not pick and choose because um, this is life and death as well. So um, it was just amazing to me that at the time that it's been out there. So if anybody has any um, thing to add that you know more about, uh, more know more than we're going to share tonight, because I just want to hit the basics. What I want to do really, Rodney, for me is just put it on the minds of people and, and say, how much does this matter to you? And if it were 
Cordova, where I live, if if it were Rodney, where you are in Virginia, if if it was your area, if it were your children, what would you want the rest of the world to do? What would you need from us? What would you want? And and how would you feel if you were getting what what I see us giving um, the area? So if nothing else, it is to put the crisis, the Flint, Michigan water crisis on the minds of people and say, and, and like in any any case, any situation, I think we should always say, what 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 would I want? What would I need for me if this crisis had all to do with me and my family and you know the people I love? What would I want people to do? What would I need? And so I don't think we ask that question enough um, because we're again we're so self 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 indulging, we're such a self indulging race of people people all to, in general. So. Um, that's kind of where we want to go with it. I'll I'll start just by giving a little um, information that I was able to find find on it, and I'll share just just the history of the Flint, Michigan crisis. Um, it's a drinking water, as you know, a, a drinking water contamination crisis, and again, it started in April 2014, and it is April. I'm sorry, it's March 2014. So this has been going on for quite a while, and 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 I guess I don't know why I I had not heard about it. Um, it could be just because I don't watch a lot of TV, and when I do, it's just set channels. I don't watch a lot of the news. Uh, or is it that they're not they've not been talking about it a lot? I don't know how. So how did I miss this? I guess saw a few things here and there on Facebook, but again, that was that, that was recent. So it doesn't appear that there's much conversation going around on Facebook about it. And in my opinion, it doesn't appear that people are really talking about it. So um, that's one question. Why? Why aren't we? Why why, why don't we hear more about it? Why is it taking uh, the elections and the debates to hear people like what we heard last night? And I I didn't hear the, the original statements, but, you know, it is what it is. These people, all of them, they're just trying to get into office. That's what I'm sick of. Republican, Democrat, whatever, whatever you are, if it matters to you, let it matter to you and stand up for it when it does not benefit you. I'll say that. What are you doing when it does not benefit you? What are you saying? Are you fighting? Are you pushing? If it really matters, you would. So the, the, that's exactly what the Flint water crisis is. It's just a, a water contamination crisis that began in April 2014. And this was after uh, Flint officials changed its water source from the Detroit Water and Sewage Department, um, which was sourced, I believe, through Lake Huron and the Detroit River. And they changed it over to the Flint River. And it is my understanding that they they had failed even to um, treat, I guess, this the Flint River, and seemingly there were people. Of course, there were people that knew that. Um, I don't see how you could go without knowing that being an official. And if you and if you did, if you didn't know, then you don't. You should not have your job. Period. If you did know, you certainly should not have your job, and there should be consequences to your lack of knowing or knowing and and having this take place. In spite of, so um, in this doing, the drinking water, of course, it it became it led to the the 
it led to the lead uh, contamination. And this, of course, created a public health danger for the residents and citizens of, of Flint. And I want to... I want to share with you, because I had not heard about this as well, I want to read two things, and then I'll kind of be done here on my part, Rodney, but I want to read um, about Leanne Walters, and she is, the the article I read on her is Meet the Mom Who Helped Expose Flint's Toxic Water Nightmare. And I won't read all of this, but I challenge you guys to go out and read it. It's on motherjones.com. And again, her you could probably just Google the mom who exposed Flint's toxic water nightmare. And it says, on a, chill, on a chilly evening last March in Flint, Michigan, Leanne Walters was getting ready for bed when she heard her daughter from the bathroom of the family's two-story clap, clapboard house. She ran upstairs to find 18-year-old Kaylee standing in the shower staring at a clump of long brown hair that had fallen from her head. Walters, a 37-year-old mother of four, was alarmed but not surprised. The entire family was losing hair. There had been other strange maladies over the previous few months. The twins, three-year-old Gavin and Garrett, kept breaking out in rashes. Gavin had stopped growing on several occasions, 14-year-old J.D. had suffered abdominal pains so severe that Walters took him to the hospital. At one point, all of Leanne's own eyelashes fell out. The family, as you have probably guessed, was suffering from the effects of lead in Flint's water supply, contamination that will have long-term irreversible neuro- neurological consequences on the, fam- on the city's children. The exposure has quietly devastated Flint since April 2014, when, in an effort to cut costs, a state-appointed emergency manager switched the city's water source again from Detroit's water system over to the Flint River. Um, there's, there's a lot more to this. So, again, I challenge you to go and read it. There is a part here <clears throat> that I want to skip to. Uh, let's see. Okay, so let's talk about, um, let me go to this part. So throughout most of 2015, and again, keep in mind when this began, well, let me back up. Let me back up because this is going to be, be important. The problem was, um, let's see, Flint. Flint is known as one of the poorest cities, 41% of the residents living in poverty, many could not afford bottled water, and of course, this crisis led to the residents having to purchase bottled water. And keep in mind, they still had to pay for their water bill; they still had to pay for water expenses. So it led to them, of course, having to to purchase bottled water. Going back to being a poverty area with 41% of the residents living in poverty, the city of approximately 100,000 people um, only has one major grocery store, which is on the far side of town. So not only do some people, if if you're living in poverty, how do you get there and how do you spend the extra money on water and still have to pay for your water bill? Okay. So, But throughout, even after this mom 
made these complaints. The, throughout most of 2015, the city and the state maintained there was nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Flint's mayor at the time, Dwayne Welling, and um, I put, Let's see if he is he still the mayor. I can't believe I can't know. I don't remember if I looked that part up. But he says I want to assure everyone that the city is sensitive to the public's concern, and declared basically that nothing was wrong and they could continue to drink the water. Now the question I have is: Do you all think that if this was in a different area, the decision would have been made to change the water supply? And do you think that what is being done now is what they would be doing if this was in a – and, and not really about black and white, but I'm saying poverty. Because what I'm coming to recognize, it's, it's about skin color to a degree, but if, if you are without – if you are known to be of poverty, then you're almost nothing in this, in this great America. You could be you 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 could be written off without a second thought. What are your thoughts on that, Rodney? Well, I'm gonna <laughs> I wanna before I, before I answer your question, uh, and hopefully I don't forget it. I want to read what uh, what Dr. Coretta was typing uh, in the chat room, uh, and then I'll and then I'll come back to your question. Um, uh, she said, let me back up. She said, "This is a hot political potato. I think, I think we have not been uh, been paying close attention. One, the media has not delivered it the way they cover other. I'm, I'm assuming that means other stories. Uh, mm-hmm. Two, I think Flint is a poor town. And then her question was, it was a rhetorical question, but who cares about the poor? Uh, then she said the governor and his officials knew about it, but it didn't seem to be important. Uh, then she said, may I dare to ask why it wasn't important? Um, and then she kind of, uh, I guess, went along with your last question. Is it because they are poor or because they are minority? So let let, let me kind of answer both of those. And this this is what this is what I think based on my observations. So... And, and, and I'm going to answer it using a scenario, a, a real-life scenario. So I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia, and I grew up in a couple of bad neighborhoods, right? Lived in one bad neighborhood up until the time I was 12. And then when I was in high school, um, I lived in another bad neighborhood. And so drugs were a serious problem in both neighborhoods because drugs were just a problem across the city, amongst other amongst other things. But drugs was a was a huge problem in the city. You you not only had uh minors uh selling drugs, whether it was weed or uh cocaine or whatever the case was, you not only had them selling drugs, but you also had kids doing drugs. Uh, again, whatever the case was, whether they were doing, uh, uh, you know, hard drugs or whether they were just doing uh, marijuana, they were doing drugs. No one, um, the, the city's reaction was, 
and I know that this was not limited to just Norfolk. But the city's reaction was to arrest the kids, to put them in juvenile detention center, uh, to find just any way they could to punish the kids, right? Whether they were selling them or whether they were doing them, right? Now, recently, here, I live in the D.C. metropolitan area, and so that consists of D.C., Maryland, and Northern Virginia. So a few months ago, I heard, uh, you know, Maryland officials coming on the radio and saying um, that they have a heroin problem in Montgomery County. Montgomery County is one of the wealthiest counties in the country. And so they they now have a drug problem, and all of these kids, these high school-age kids, are overdosing on heroin, and their friends are just leaving them there because their friends are afraid, hey, if I call the cops or if I call 911 and you show up and there are drugs here or my friend is over overdosed from drugs, that means I'm going to be in trouble. So here's what their response was. They said, oh, well, Maryland has what is called a good Samaritan law. So that means that if you call and say, hey, my friends overdose from drugs, whatever, they can't hold that against you in court, which means nothing's going to happen to you. So why is it that in Montgomery County, which is one of the wealthiest counties, not just in Maryland but in the country, it's, well, let's try to resolve this issue by saying, hey, here's a way out. Here's this law. Here's this Here's this here's this thing out here to protect you, and you know we just want to try to save these kids because maybe we can offer maybe we can offer some rescue uh, to them. Maybe we can you know save their lives. But in Norfolk, a very poor city, no, we're gonna just arrest those kids. Oh, they're a problem. They're a problem. So to answer your question, very very. What we don't realize, Tammy, is that race does play a part in our lives and, and decisions and all in everything that we do. Yes, race does play a part, but you better believe that your status plays an even bigger part. Because yeah, yeah, you black. Yep. Yes, you're Hispanic. Yes, you're Muslim. Yes, you're Asian. But you better believe that if you're black with some money, you got a better chance of making it out of there than some white person from the trailer park. Because that's what it all comes down to. Look at sports. They take football and basketball, bring in probably the most money in sports, right? The guys who make the most money often are black, or at least, you know, the the, the guys that, that are highly recruited, they're black, most of them. And these colleges are bringing in 60, 70, 80 million dollars. They don't care anything about these boys. They see dollar signs. They're making all this money for the university. And that's why they'll they'll fudge SAT scores for these boys. That's why they'll let them sit in classes and write a half a page paper for a term paper and say, 
here's an A minus. Why? Because that kid means big bucks for that school. And so, hey, Rodney, not 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 only will they they do that for their ACT scores and all of that, but you you can think about rate and things like that on the colleges as well. They'll they'll get them out of that so that they keep that money coming or or don't mess with my money, don't mess with this player. And that doesn't matter your skin color for that part. If you can bring the dollars in, you're in. You're in. I heard you say to – go ahead, Rodney. No, I was just going to say, and when when you're done, when when, when you're done, they'll come out and say, oh, well, you know, this scandal, and it's like, wait a minute, as hard – as they are on SAT scores, or as strict as the NCAA rules are, how did you not know that this kid didn't pass his SATs or didn't meet the requirement? How did you not know that? Because guess what? Rodney was not a star athlete in high school, so guess what? Every college knew Rodney scores it. Nope, he can't come in. But I guarantee you, if Rodney was a was a was a McDonald's All American. Oh, you better believe Rodney could have gotten into anywhere. Connecting that back to Flint, that's that's what this was about. Poverty. Right. Because because, because Rodney, because the number of people I was gonna say the number of there's there's not a huge difference in in the race. I mean it's not a significant difference and it's so I I'm right with you. I really believe and it's like every it's like everything else and somehow we always get back to our children but when you were talking it made me think about even schools. You'll hear kids say today which which I which is heartbreaking. They kids who who were fortunate enough, I guess I'll, I'll say that and for, for just for the sake of this show and what we're talking about um a young girl that I spoke with who had an opportunity to go to school in Collierville, which is which is a more, you know, predominant area here in, in Memphis. Well, circumstances happened, uh, death in the family, things like that, and they had to move with her grandmother in Whitehaven. And she clearly, clearly could see the difference, even in the material, the books, um, the teaching, and all these things, the lack of necessities, things that were required and needed, you can't tell me that is a mistake. And how can you live in what we call the same city and not and, and, and have schools that don't have air, don't have books, don't have even down to proper plumbing. I mean, mm-hmm. so that tells me then you're not dispersing funds evenly, and you're not you're you're not considering these these children because they are in a poverty stricken area, and it doesn't matter if you just so happen to be white and end up there. I heard Dio Hughley say today on his show, and I can't remember what his topic was, but I did hear him for a minute, and he said, "If you're white and poor, face it, you're one of us." And mm-hmm. I'll say that if you're any color and poor, face it, you're one of us. People don't want to hear it and don't don't want to own up to it. But until we do about anything, regardless of a person's color, until we stand up for what is right and real, and, and more importantly, realize that in, injustice anywhere, as we can see, is a threat to us everywhere. We're in. We're all in danger because. There's only so much people are going to take. People have to eat. People are going to have to live their lives. And they're going to do that one way or another, whether they go mm-hmm. to the grocery store and steal or they come to your house and steal. Either one. But yeah. they're going to find a way. 
they're going to find a way. And it's going to come a time where the money is not going to be enough. Like here, yeah, we have a lot of killings and, and even here recent going on, but you see it slowly going outward where it used to just kind of be inward, but you see the, the, the crime creeping into the areas that people once thought were safe. Mm-hmm. But as long as you you don't stand up, I don't care what color you are, if you're white and you don't stand up for white when someone that's not your color and does not have the 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 status that you have, if you don't stand up, then you're just as wrong. Same for me. If I'm black and I see you being treated wrong and I don't stand up for you, then I'm I, I'm I'm in the same pot because there's such a sense of division that has has come upon us all, not just one race, but there's such a sense of division. And personally, I think all of this was part of all this is part of a master plan. I won't even get into that because y'all would think I'm crazy, but but I think all of that down from even President Obama being put in office, even down to this situation where all of a sudden in Flint, in the midst of all this stuff going on, who do you appoint for mayor? A female black woman. Female black. That's I mean, a... <laughs> So it's it, to me it's like okay let's 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 get this thing running because now you got somebody to and that's just my opinion some of y'all might disagree but I'm on hold I'm on hold to that because again I think what we see going on today because I'm gonna tell you as I've always said if President if 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 he if it was not his appointed time by some higher people to be in such a place that he is today he would not have made it they would have kept him out. And so let's put mm-hmm. him in. Let's create all this division among people. Let's get this. All the stuff that you can ever think of happen has happened during the, the, the presidency of the first African-American man to be in office. That's, and everybody that's... was kind of sitting back waiting on something to happen. But just because he got in office doesn't mean change happened. That He made history, but he didn't change anything. There's still racism going on to the, to a deg- higher degree than we probably ever can think of, including what's going on in Flint, Michigan. So I'll say that again. He didn't. His being in office did not change things. It changed history. We made history, and 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 our young people get to see someone in office that looks like them. And maybe, maybe, maybe they it will give them enough to say, I can and I will, and give them enough to go out and do. But this Flint, Michigan crisis water issue is so much bigger than we think. And, th- and see, they can keep us going by killing off a young black male. They can keep, and they report it, like, like Dr. Coretta said in the chat room. Why, aren't, why isn't the media all over this? Why? Why? And be honest. Um, be honest. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to speak to people who don't look like me, white people. Be honest. It's time to step up and be honest. If this were in your neighborhood with your 31 ACT score kids, all of that stuff, would it be different? If, if, every, if we reverse it, would it be different? Would it have happened? And those, and I say no, 
Those are the things that you have to start to be honest with if we're going to change this world. We're going to change the heart of people and stop looking like hypocrites. Because just like when we talk about the police brutality, I, Rodney has heard me say this and many other people, I can't make the decision that if a white police officer does not shoot a white young male, that he is, he is not, that he is racist or not, because maybe he just was raised right. Maybe he's a different breed. Maybe he's a different kind of guy. And so I choose to think that rather than to say, because I've seen it both ways. I've seen it both ways. So we got to realize that we just have some evil people in office, some prejudiced people in office, some greedy people in office who could care less about poverty, people who live in poverty, regardless of your skin color. But if you live there and you just happen to be black, you got it double. You got it double. But if you're white, just like Duelle just said, you're one of us. You might as well get with it. But until you who are not in poverty and don't look like us, until you start speaking up and being honest, it's not going to change. I'm going to jump in here real quick and, and read Dr. Coretta's uh, comments in the chat room, and then I'm coming to the phone lines because we do have someone uh, who has a question or a comment. Uh, but, Dr. Coretta, while you're on that very uh, topic, uh, Tammy, uh, she said, but then some people in that same government call themselves Christians. May the Lord have mercy. Um, and then she said, greed comes in different forms. There was clean water for General Motors but not for the people. Um, And then she said, racism is too ingrained into the fabric of the American culture. It is a shame, but the truth is the truth. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to come back to something else uh, after we take our caller, but we're going to bring in our uh, caller from, from area code five zero one. Last four digits are seven, six, five, seven. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. We can hear you, Corey. Go ahead. What's happening, man? Yeah, I was just listening to the show, and I, I was uh, uh, so Tammy had said something about being racism, and where when you're poor, he said something about Dale Hughley said that whenever white people are poor, they're just like us. To me, that's a big misconception that we don't need to get stuck on. Uh, that happened during the, during the civil rights movement when they started having racism. And then they start getting into the women, women's rights, and they start getting into the whole fabrication of discrimination. And, it, and discrimination took over the movement of the civil rights movement. That's why you got in the NAACP start fighting for discrimination lawsuits versus racism lawsuits. Uh, now, the Flint, Michigan, it's 57% of that population is black. But the problem is, I think, is that we have started to realize that most of the, all, all the local government people that approved everything they went through were black. We're not we're not addressing that part of the issue. That we're not saying how we're holding ourselves accountable. No, we're talking about the mayor. We're talking about the governor. Yeah, they're white. They're the ones that, that we see on TV. The ones that have been thrown out there. But we need to, at some point, go back to the reality of it. Is that what are the local people, the local aldermen that help sign these bills, that are help putting this thing out, that's help putting out into the public? What's going on? How we're holding them accountable as well? Because it's it's a full circle effect. And not only in, in in that respect too. Is that at what point do we, as, as ourselves, take take accountability? Because if you're drinking brown water, somebody should have said something. Somebody should have threw up a green flag instead of us just saying, "Hey, you know, it's brown. It's gonna be okay." Then when do we stop knocking our head? When do we stop knocking our head against a brick? 
expecting different results. That's stupidity. That, that's craziness. That's insanity. So I, I would say that is that, and then the other part of it is, is that without our, our, uh, this black power movement that we got, and I agree with one thing is that is if, it, if it's not done by a white person, then it does not matter. Because when you look at it right now, is that this is not a glamorous uh, victory if we get one. This is unglamorous. So if it's not glamorous, we don't fight it. If it's not where well, we'll be in the TV all day, we're not going to be in the news all day. We don't want to fight their war. It'd be like with uh, with Tammy's son. He has the, the uh, Blight from Memphis project going on. You hear nothing about it. But it's something that's very much needed. But I guarantee you if you hear a cop killing somebody at the mall, it's go, the news going to be all over it because it's glamorous. It's always, it always has to be on the news. Them the wars that we like to fight where we can be seen, we can be heard, and where black people accept us. But when it's in a fight where black, where white people will not accept us, we're not going to fight that war as a majority. That's just my comment. So, so here's here's what I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna come back in and and address. And Corey, you kind of hinted to it a, a few a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago. So, yesterday uh, there was the last night there was the Democrat Democratic debate. Uh, whatever number it was And I had a problem With the fact that uh, The debate was held in Flint, Michigan And here's why I had a problem With that debate being held in Flint, Michigan Number one You don't play politics With people's children With people's health With people's struggles You just don't do that And to me it was all political Having a debate in a, in a city that you know is in a crisis, you, and you just don't do that to me because you know that these candidates are not going to show up and say anything stupid. They're going to both, or if there were more candidates, everybody's going to show up and uh, talk about how sorry they are for the people of Flint, Michigan, and everything that they're going to do. They were even making promises and this is what I would do and all of that. It's I would have been insulted more so than I was sitting in my home in Virginia than I would have been like, like I would have been more insulted if I if I if I lived in Flint, Michigan or was sitting in that crowd. And here's why. It's easy for Bernie Sanders, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, whoever. It's it's easy for them to say, I'm sorry for what you're going through, or here's what I would do if I was president. It's easy for them to go and be political and try to get votes when they don't have to drink that water, when they don't have to bathe in that water, when their kids don't have to use that water. It's so easy to sit up, to stand up there and have a conversation about it. But I guarantee you the people living in that city, it's not that easy for them to have such a positive outlook and talk about woulda, coulda, shoulda. And so I thought that was very unfair, number number one. Number two, the same way, the same way they sat there and they talked about how sorry they were and how badly they felt for these people. When they were asked about uh, legal consequences When they were asked about Throwing people in jail Their response was 
Well, we'd have to launch an investigation first. Why are you playing politics? You know what these people did. You know that this governor's guilty. You know that these other people in, in, in the city, whoever's responsible, you know that they are guilty. Because they said, they admitted, if, if you listen to them, they admitted that they changed the water supply. They are just denying because it, it would make them look bad. They are just denying that it wasn't about saving money. But we all know it was. Because going back to what Dr. Carrera said earlier, who cares about the poor? Who cares about the poor? You look at you look at people that, depending on where you live in this country, depending on where you live, determines what your school looks like. I guarantee you schools in Beverly Hills don't look like schools in in Detroit. Guarantee you. Why? Because there's money out there, and those people in, in Beverly Hills are not going for it. But let's take advantage of Detroit. Let's take advantage of these poor cities, and then let's get on TV and say, oh, we care. About who? It bothers me to hear politicians talking about things that their families have never experienced or are not experiencing and probably never will. Don't get up there and, and, and do that. They were asked last night about uh, their, their racial blind spots. And Hillary Clinton started talking about something else to the point that Don Lemon had to come back and a- ask the question again. Why? Because they don't know what it's like. They don't know what it's like. And instead of getting out and really trying to understand, what, what do people do? They speak from their own experiences. And we all do it, no matter, no matter where you come from. We all do it. But the difference is usually the poor people don't try to act like they understand what it, what, what it means to be rich. Now, they may do crazy things like go and spend $200 on a pair of tennis shoes, but it's, it's, it's always people who've never been in, 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 you know, these bad positions that have so much to say. It's easy to, t- to tell someone to get over it when it's not your son being shot. It's easy to tell someone that. It's easy as as a as a governor or as a department of education. It's easy to put out policies for education when your kids are going to private schools. It's easy to make up all these rules for public schools when your kids are not being impacted by. It. So easy to do. But at the same time, it's also hypocritical. But I'm going to go to something else uh, you said, Corey, and feel free to jump back in here. Oh, I'm seeing it I will. Not, it, is, it is not just the government's responsibility to take care of us. It's not, it's not, it's not their responsibility. Because even in the Declaration of Independence, it says people have a right to overthrow the government. We don't have to sit back and continue to put up with a bunch of nonsense. We don't have to put up with these things. 
but we do. And we don't know, like you said, yeah, we may see the governor on TV. We may see the mayor, but we don't know everyone who went into this decision-making. How often, I don't know about you guys, but I know for me, how often is it that we only find out, or at least the only time I know about who voted on what bill in 1998 is when somebody's running for president in 2016. So we don't know all of these people who go into these these conference rooms. We don't know how they vote. We don't know we don't know what they're talking about. But everybody plays a part in it. And if you're the one being impacted by it the most, why are you sitting back and not saying a word? Why are we so afraid? Why are we so afraid? I know this guy. This guy uh, I met a few weeks ago, he said, he told me this long story, and then he said, the whole point of the story is, as vocal as you are, he said, you are now a target, or you're becoming a target. Because when people are not a space to speak up, that's usually what happens to him, what happens to them. And if if, if 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 I'm a target, fine. If somebody is going to get mad with me one day and and fire me from my job, cool. If somebody is going to take my life, cool. But I tell you one thing: no matter what happens to me, no one can say, you know what? Rodney's in that coffin over there, but his dignity is in that building over there. No, my dignity is going with me. Because what I'm not going to do is sit around and let people just hurt other people or hurt me and say, hey, that's okay. No, that's that's, that's not okay. Go ahead, Corey. All right. I, I agree with you on a lot of things. I, I think one of the things, and it goes beyond just having to be about politics, it's our psychology of how we look at ourselves and how we think about who we are, one of the first things is that we have not given ownership of us being an American. That's one of the things that we do not do. Uh, one of us still, some of us still live in this black hope of, going, of uh, being, uh, Africa is where everything, all of our focus should be, not realizing we built America, so therefore it, it is ours, not realizing that everybody on the planet Earth has a beginning in Africa, so that means African or European, African, Asian, and so on. So until we begin to take ownership of something, then we have no investment in making it better. So I think that's one of the things we have to begin to look at or realize, that we do own this. Even though, even though the first black, Statue of Liberty was made after a black woman, but we failed to realize that we always say, well, are we African? We need to go back to Africa. No, this is your home. This is where you live. So take ownership of that. Take pride in that and make it the best you can. The other part of it is, is that we just lazy. You know, we, we, and the reason the politics, politicians do what they do to us, they know if they come in, give us five minutes of fame, give us five minutes of mention from the white person, then, yes, we're going to feel good. Oh, they're concerned about us. They, they, you know, they're looking out for us. They know that all they got to do is do it for a good five, five or ten days, and it goes away. They can move on to the next topic, like, the, like with the debate. I have not watched not a debate yet. But every topic I read is that they're mentioning small uh, snapshots of what's going on. Because our, our attention span only lasts for so long. So, therefore, they'll mention us, they make us feel good, 
then all of a sudden, you just, they think they know they'll they'll do something crazy. They'll put something crazy in the news and make us change our attention. Let's take the uh, Trayvon Martin case. For about a good three weeks or so, everybody was up in the uproar. They were protesting. They was out there. Three weeks later, it started dying down. They knew it. So, therefore, all you got to do is just let it wait and let it simmer. Because, see, this, this event has been going on for a while. We have yet to get mad. Another example would be like with this Donald Trump thing. We're not mad. We're not angry. We let this man talk about us like a dog. We let him do what he wants to do. We talk, we talk amongst each other, but we have yet to do anything. We have yet to get mad and upset. So until we get mad and upset about something, it's not going to happen. We keep on comparing oranges, which is majority whites, to apples, which is the somewhat minority blacks. But the, the case of this is, is that we was the majority in Flint, Michigan. We were not the minority. So we can't blame nobody but us. If 50% of that population is black, who else can you blame? We, we the one voted in the mayor. We the one voted in our alternates and everybody else in this system. So we cannot go back and blame nobody but us. We make up 50% of that racial, that racial makeup. So that's why you won't hear a lot about it because if, it, if the white person is not controlling it, we don't want nothing to do with it because we're still trying to be accepted, not realizing we've already been accepted. Not realizing that we are not always the minority. We need to get out of that minority mindset and start having the majority mindset in a lot of situations. That's my opinion. No, I'm with you, and I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, read a comment from Facebook uh, real quick, and it just says uh, uh, exactly someone should have said something. The governor could have called a state of emergency. Uh, people should have been made aware uh, before the water got this bad. Um, I agree. Um, and then it says, uh, uh, and Dr. Carreta in the chat room uh, said, I agree with you, uh, Rodney, politicians adopt a very condescending attitude. For, mit, uh, for many politicians think that if you are poor, you are also dumb. Um, and then she said, people are afraid because they lack knowledge. Uh, the Bible said so. Um, here's here's what I think that, that we need to do, because what I don't want to do is just, um, uh, point fingers and, and pass the blame um, because I think everything that has been said on this on this show uh, so far tonight has been very valid and what we all need to do is find out go back because I'm sure you can I'm sure you can find the information go back into your communities. Um, go back and look at your local news and find out what's happening, not on the other side of the country, but find out what's happening in your backyard. Because I guarantee you something is brewing right now that's going to affect you, your family, more more than likely your kids, your friends, something's going to impact you sooner or later. And saying I didn't know or we didn't know doesn't change the outcome. It doesn't change what happens. People say what you don't know can't hurt you. That's not true. What you don't know will probably hurt you more than anything else. You find out that somebody has 
HIV, you didn't know it ahead of time. But guess what? You find out the hard way. It's it, it, it's not going to go away. And so the same thing goes on here for you parents out there. Go to the school board meetings. Go to the city council meetings. And just listen to the things that they're talking about. Now, granted, those are political sessions. So you're probably not going to get every single thing. But take what you hear and start talking to the people in the community because eventually you're going to get to you're going to get to the bottom of it because when you do that you're going to find out some ugly things there are ugly things that go on in schools ugly things let me tell you my 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 students uh, if you mention the presidential race in any kind of way, most of our students are Hispanic. The first thing they say is, we don't want Donald Trump to be president because he's going to send us back to our country. What? Why are kids afraid of having to leave America? Why? But, see, this is what they're hearing. And then you don't know what the teacher's responses are. You don't know what the school is doing about these things. You have no idea. And so kids are kids are afraid because of what they hear at home, because of what they hear their parents say, what they hear at school. You have no idea. I guarantee you most parents don't know how much testing their children do on a regular basis. Guarantee you most parents don't know. Because if they did, I'm shocked that, they're not raising hell because I know I would because I raise hell and I don't even have kids in in the school system. But as a teacher, I see the impact that it has. And I watch people like Dr. Coretta retire, and it's like, no, you can't leave. But I get it. We've had other teachers, great teachers, and they've told me, Rodney, I just can't take it anymore. I've had teachers tell me that, but they, you know, they do what they have to do. But we don't, we don't know because we don't take the time to find out. We're so busy worried about who's in the White House, we have no idea who's sitting in Congress. Them crooks been there for years. They they sit and argue on TV because behind closed doors they don't care, but they sit and argue about whether or not you, you and I should have health care, and if so, how much should we have? Who's going to pay for it? But yet their families have the best health care. But they're going they're they, they they're going to determine how much you should have, how much I should have. Yet anybody will say what you want to hear when you when they know you're listening. That's why we have to get out and find out what's going on when people are not even trying to impress us so that things like Flint, Michigan don't happen, so that people can brush their teeth 
and take baths in clean water. That's a shame. With all the money flowing in this country, now in addition to homeless people, we have people living in 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 cities where the water's contaminated. And then the research I did come to find out there are cities in this country that have a, a, a bigger problem than Flint. From what I found out, there, there are a number of cities in New Jersey that have higher levels of lead than Flint, Michigan. So this just isn't one problem, but if you think about New Jersey, it isn't the greatest state to live in. And you have a lot of impoverished cities in New Jersey. So my challenge to everyone on this show tonight is to get out, get off the couch, get off your behind, and go and find out what is going on in your community. What is the mayor talking about? What are the city council members talking about? What are the school board members talking about? What are the principals talking about? What are the conversations that people are having? If you get involved, you'll learn something. You're not going to learn anything sitting at home watching reality shows. You're not going to learn anything at the club Friday and Saturday night. You're not going to learn anything. Nothing worthwhile or nothing that's impacting your life. There are always bills on the table, whether it be locally, at the state level, or at the federal level. Something's always on the table. Do you even know what those things are? Do you know what those things are? Do you know how the curriculum in certain localities is being changed to make sure that your child is educated on homosexuality? Do do you know that? Is that happening where you are? Do Do you know the conversations that are taking place that are impacting you? I think church is a wonderful place. Or wherever people choose to worship. I think it's wonderful. But you can't just sit in your place of worship and ignore everything that's around you. Because God wouldn't have you to be ignorant about anything. So let's all do our parts to make sure that our leaders, no matter who your leaders may be, let's do our part to make sure that these people are held accountable. But before you can hold anybody accountable, you have to hold yourself accountable. What are you doing with your time? What are you doing with your money? 
Corey, do you have anything else? Yeah, I, 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 just, I, I totally agree with you. It, 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 it's sad is that we want to play, place the blame on everybody but ourselves. We we want for everybody to take that responsibility, but we fail to take the responsibility ourselves. Uh, at some point, we have to get back to the, get back to who we are, where we are. Uh, the biggest problem I think, one of the biggest problems I think we got is that everybody is trying to solve, I'm going to say black issue, which is not really a black issue, but it's a poor issue. Don't live in no neighborhoods. Say, for instance, like me and my wife, we want us to go out and help. We want to help the area where, where, where she's from. But we don't live in that neighborhood. It's like you said earlier. You know, we got people that are that are not in that neighborhood trying to change that neighborhood. The neighborhoods are so um, talented. Talent strips. We ripped all the talent out. We ripped all the uh, uh, the hope, the dreams out, out of those neighborhoods, and then we expect them to want to hope and to do better. But we gave them nothing to hope and do better about because we took all the talent out. As soon as some of us get a little piece of money, we're gone. Uh, like let's let's look at Flint for instance. They way below the poverty line. Their poverty line percentage is at forty two percent of people that live in Flint. They're below the property line. That means they make less than twenty four to twenty two thousand dollars a year. That's insane. Forty two percent of it. So now if you take that and we go out there and we'll say, Hey, you know, you should have known better. But I don't know if how many of y'all ever been homeless or ever lived on twenty two thousand dollars a year. Your mind's not is not set on politics, which is, and it's sad, but it's not you you such in survival mode because you almost a paycheck from being homeless. If you look at some of the places, I've, I've never, I've never been in Flint, but I've seen some, some pictures and I've seen you know, things on the internet and stuff. Have you seen how some of their homes look? Some of them just boarded up. Some of them don't even have doors on them. They just have a curtain up because because the landlord came put because they didn't pay their rent. The landlord, the landlord has come by and took the doors off. They won't put them back on until they pay the rent. So we're we're trying to change an environment where none of us live. We're trying to expect these people to do things that none of us quite understand. I've been homeless before. I've been poor before, but I've been long since removed from that, and I don't quite understand everything that they go through. Yes, do I think they they they, they need to they need to change the way they think about things? Yes, I do. But when you're in the in the midst of a balance of balanced starvation, you're in the midst of balance not having you no know, the right amount of health care, those type of things. The last thing you worry about is what bill being passed. So we have to restructure or re- rethink this whole way of, of what we're fighting and how we're fighting. Then how do we become a vessel for the less fortunate versus telling them, hey, it's your fault. You got to do it all on your own. How do we become a more of a vessel for them to get where they got to go and to do what they have to do? How can we support them, even though we don't live with them? Because none of us that I, I that I think of, that I know of, is living in a poor neighborhood. None of us are poor. And then we expect them to act like us, to think like us, to be one of us. That's why you don't see rich people and poor people mingling together. They have nothing to talk about, nothing at all, because the conversation and mindset is so different. So we have to get back to how, instead of going in a senior way and assuming, like you said earlier, stop assuming. Let's go ask the question. How can I be of help to you? How can I help you get to where I think you should be or where we mutually, mutually agree where you're trying to go? What is your game plan? Because how I think you should go might not be where you're trying to go. And if it's not there, then we might not be a good fit. So, so let me move on to somebody I can help. Then you find you somebody else that can help you because we try to help you and we're not on the same path, in the same lane, on the same highway, we're not going to get there. And I think that's what we've been fighting for so long is that we've been wanting to help, but we've been help, helping the wrong folks 
with with the wrong solution. Let's find the right folks we can help. Cause like with me, I can't help nobody that's been on drugs. I can't help you get off drugs because I've never been on drugs. So therefore, it's, it's wasting my time to even try to begin to tell you how to get off of it because I don't understand it. I can tell you how not to be homeless. I can tell you how to find a job, but nothing about drugs because I've never been in that, in that position. I think we have to rethink this whole thing. Or how do we fight this whole property thing? How do we fight this whole thing of helping other folks? That's my opinion. I like it, Corey. I'm gonna uh, uh, read this from the uh, from Facebook, and then I'm going to uh, pull in our next call, and then I'm gonna uh, begin to wrap up this show. And I love this quote um, that I that 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 I saw on uh, on Facebook, and it says, "It's like that saying: it takes a village to raise a child." But then this person uh, goes on to say, "It also takes a village to raise hell and do better." For themselves, I you know what that's a that's a powerful statement. I I, I totally agree. Uh, we're gonna bring in a caller from area code four zero four, and the last four digits are four seven two seven. Caller, you are on the air with us. Uh, thanks for having me, man. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Doing well. Uh, yeah, I'm coming in late, so I just heard the the last gentleman's comments, man. Uh. When you look at Flint in situations like this, it, it, it just lets us know not only the, the limitations that capitalism have, uh, but also just the the fire that most uh, poor communities uh, basically have to go through for your daily standard of living to secure the basic needs. And as long as that's going on, then you're going to have these problems because these are the people who are going to be picked out and looked at as the ones who can be uh, abused in the way that they were in Flint. Now, remember, in Flint, uh, they did a whole bunch of shady things with the ballot. There was a whole issue with recounting and things like that. So it wasn't just a thing of people not voting. It's just a thing of people living in, in, in poverty in an area to where the manufacturing and those jobs that people used to do, where if you didn't have a high-level education, you could go work 40 hours and sweat and still have enough for a family. Uh, with that being gone, you got people down to their last trying to figure out different ways. So the answer to all of this stuff is communal living, actually people uh, putting their money together, building the local infrastructure that they need, and then controlling the politics later. Uh, politics first, that was the mistake we made with the Du Bois Booker T. Washington situation. So politics comes after. But yeah, with that, that genocidal situation in Flint to where politicians basically just decided that in order to save money and prove they were conservative and fixing the budget, that they would do it on the backs of, of poor people and endanger them, uh, let you know how drastic these things could be. But if we still keep going with this whole game of, okay, I'm going to teach you this, and now you're going to get out the ghetto, but everybody else is still there, uh, you know, it's individualism and it's backwards. It's a backwards way for people who are undergun to think. And matter of fact, if we still think in those terms in 2016, uh, we can't be surprised when we look around and see what we see. Individualism will not solve our problems. The only thing that will solve our problems is us finally coming together and being about us, uh, regardless of what the outside people uh, decide that they want to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question uh, before I get into the to, to this uh, this article. 
uh, and before we close out, I'm going to ask this question, uh, and thank you so much, sir, for calling in, but I do want you to answer. I'm going to direct this question to you, and then I want uh, Corey to, uh, to chime in as well. Um, why is it that the only time we want to encourage each other to to wake up or say we, we, we have to do better or we need to come together, why is it that that only happens when tragedy strikes and, and, and it's presented out there, you know, from the media or, you know, it happens, you know, in our neighborhoods or whatever. As long as we don't see tragedy, nobody's screaming, wake up. Nobody's saying we need to come together. Nobody's saying we need to all stick together, you know, like 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 the the comment I just read on a Facebook uh, from a young lady. It also takes a village to raise hell and to say, hey, we need to do better. But it can't just be every time tragedy strikes. We have to wake up and go to bed with that mindset, and it has to always be renewed. But why is it that? Only when something happens, we say, oh, let's come together, or let's wake up. Why is it that we're waking up all the time? When are we going to just stay awake? Ah, that's a very good question, very interesting question, and it has some historical uh, landmarks in it. Uh, this is traditionally how we act because that's mostly when people are open to listen, when they actually see how bad it can get, then you can actually talk to people uh, the mass media and the propaganda that's, that's, that's filtered through our airwaves, uh, what we read, everything else, convinces us that the individual way is the way to go. And anybody who doesn't succeed, uh, it's their own fault. Uh, their father drank, their mother drank, uh, they didn't study hard enough and things like that. When in reality, this game is rigged and inequality is kind of pushed into the game. It's a part of it. So to get people to understand that when things are somewhat going well or when things are uh, a little bit better, it's harder to get them to listen to you because that media goes 24-7. And as far as they're concerned, uh, you're just hating on who's ever uh, in a position that they want to be in. So they're looking at it from that individualistic standpoint, which, like I said, is a losing battle to fight instead of realizing, like you're saying, that this is something we have to go to bed with, wake up with, and then start to build. There was, there was a great psychologist, Bobby E. Wright, and one thing that he said was, uh, just because you're unemployed don't mean you got to be out of work. So if you're unemployed, okay, there's some things in the neighborhood need to be done. How about 10 of y'all get together? Oh, 10 of y'all learn some new skills. 10 of y'all learn how to do this, learn how to do that. Uh, we got young women who could be midwives. We got young men who could be plumbers. And once you start figuring out how to do these different skills, and you just decide to section your neighbor off, I will only hire people who live over here. I will only spend my money in my zip code. Then you can start to really function and push back. But the, the question you raised was a beautiful question, and that's something that we're going to be asking for the next decade if we don't get our thing right. But, yeah, you got to be going to bed and waking up with that good times or bad. Otherwise, we just run from emergency to emergency with our hair on fire. That. That that's strong there, brother. Uh, Corey, I like. I, I, I don't know you, man, but I like you. Go ahead, Corey. <laughs> I can Corey, you there? Yeah, yeah I'm, here. I'm here. I'm here. All right. All right okay. My, my thing is this: 
is that we have yet to become the un war is me race. Everything is always war is me, war is me. And we, we, we begin to accept it about ourselves. It, it A lot of our leaders has always betrayed us. All of our things that we wanted, they betrayed us as this race of empathy, as a race of uh, of, uh, of somebody that's, that's sad and that, that is uh, uh, belittled and, and all that. Versus a race that has that, a race of humans, their civil rights has been violated. So we have latched on to that. And we've accepted that part of us, that we are the war's race, war's me race. So that within itself, this allows us not to be able to go out and sustain that train of thought to say, okay, it's not a crisis. Because that's the way our leaders have trained us. That's the way we were trained since we've been here in this country, is that if it's not a crisis, it does not matter. Not only that, it, it, it leads us to be liked by everybody else because that's the only time everybody else pays attention to us. And it seems like the only time we pay attention to ourselves is when somebody else is looking at us. When we're doing good or we're doing okay where there's not media attention, we become the average person. Once we become the average person, if, if we, we don't feel like we are wanted or we are part of this society. Once something happens in our community and it's bad, everybody's looking at us now. And we're happy about it. It's like we celebrate that. Like, it's like we take that as a mantle of acceptance amongst white, Hispanics, and Asians. It's like, yes, it happened to us. Now it's our time to get on TV. Now it's our time to shine. Now it's our time to just go out there. Then once the glamour and glitz are gone, we go back to our crab in the bucket mentality. So until we get our youth and retrain them, and I'm saying the youth because the old people are going to do what they're going to do. They're set in their ways. We are, we are set in our ways. We've got to take the youth people, and we've got to take them and start molding them and then training them on how to rethink this whole thing. And not only that is that we've got to get rid of if they don't like us, then we're not going to be okay. We have to go back to the, like the last guy said. We've got to go into the, into the small part of how can I make my street better? Now, how can I make – my neighborhood better. Now, how can I make my community better? Now, and grow from there. But we must start within a small section first. Is how can I make this little small section that I live on the best that it can be? Am I picking up the trash? Am I doing these type of things? Therefore, when you do those type of things, you're no longer looking for the next crisis. You're beginning to think beyond the positive. We got to get out of this negative uh, thoughts. Everything that we do, everything that we've done, 99% of it is geared toward being negative. Let's retrain ourselves and rethink ourselves to in a more positive light. Let's not become so loud, but become more quiet, become more stern and more focused. Uh, I think at that point, we will then begin to see a change. It's doable. It's very doable. But the problem is, are we willing to put in the work? Are we willing to accept to be an average Joe that don't have anything to fall back on other than who we are as a person, as a black man, as a human? Versus being saying it has to be about racism, versus saying it has to be about I can't get a job. Because really, in, in honesty, black people have nothing to complain about. It's our fault we're in the position we're in. We're the only community that allows anybody to come in our community and set up a store and don't spend no money in, in our neighborhood. We're the only community that allows anybody to come in and, and own a house but don't but don't live in, in, in that neighborhood and charge whatever type of rent they want. So we have no room to complain about anything. It's our fault. Until we accept that and start owning our own neighborhoods, open our own businesses, open our own factories, then we have nothing to complain about. Because how can you get how can you get mad at a white person that spent his money, built a factory, and hired who he wanted to hire? And then you turn around, made your money, you went and bought some Jordans, you didn't open no factory, 
but then you still want to complain about how bad your neighborhood is. We got to rethink this thing. We got to rethink this fight. We got to rethink how we focus and who we are. We got to rethink this whole thing because how we've been fighting is not winning us a war. It's not even winning us a battle. What is winning us is is we are wars, wars me race that want to grab on and latch on to anything that, that is popularized by another race. We need to get rid of that and focus on within. And how do we make within better? And stop sending our talent out to other neighborhoods. And how do we keep talent within our own neighborhoods? Then I think it would change. Sounds good to Sorry, me, man. man. No, you're fine, man. You're fine. You're fine. I, I, I'm like uh, uh, the young lady who just posted on Facebook that she is loving this conversation. This, this is a, a it, it's a great conversation. For those of you who are just joining us, I've seen a number of uh, new callers come in. Uh, we want to thank you so much for for tuning in with us. I see one number that I that that I do recognize. And uh, if, if that brother has anything to say, I know he uh, he probably is thinking, you know, he joined in late, you know, but he always has something uh, good for the people. And he, he knows who I'm talking about. So um, uh, definitely feel free to uh, press the number one, uh, sir, and uh, offer uh, your perspective. But to any of you listening, uh, we're not only talking about uh, – you know, what has happened um, in Flint, Michigan, and in other cities um, across the uh, United States when it comes to contaminated water. But we're also just dealing with uh, th- things that are happening um, in our communities just all together. Um, and, no, this is not strictly pertaining to uh, black people because um, we have Hispanics going through uh, similar things. Uh, we have uh, Muslims going through similar things. Uh, it may not be water, but if you're a minority, you are experiencing something uh, that you don't necessarily like. So uh, just to remind you guys that, you know, we're calling attention to these issues, but at the same time, we're also trying to offer some suggestions as to how we, uh, as a people, regardless of your race, regardless of your gender, regardless of uh, your income, or any other differences we have, that it is totally up to us to uh, not be lazy any longer, but to but to stand up and to be proactive and to make sure that things like Flint, Michigan, uh, don't happen again. Uh, before I pull in our next caller, um, if you would like to ask a question or make a comment and you're listening by phone, please press the number one and I'll bring you in. Um, in the order that your calls come in, uh, I'll bring you in by your area code and the last four digits of your uh, phone number. Uh, we have two callers in queue, so I'll take the first one. Area code 404, last four digits are 5745. Caller, you are now on the air with us. Good evening, Rodney. This is Lisa. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Ms. Lisa? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um this there's so many different things that uh, that I could comment on, but I'm going to try to keep it short because I know you have other callers and um, you're continuing with the conversation. But as far as um, what you and Tammy were talking about in the beginning with Flint, um, I think it's two on two points we have to look at. One is politics, and the other is racism. So from the politics side of it, um, those who are in power. Um, in politics, but also those who have all the money, those who have all the cards, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. They, you know, it's a, they are in a, um, 
a kind of a fear mode, which I think is why there's a lot of racism. There's a lot of, you know, keep the keep the Muslims out. There's a, you know, it's like we need to just keep this, um, you know, to ourselves kind of thing. And the reason why I say that is because in L.A., my daughter lives in L.A., but um, just outside of L.A. proper, um, there's a, a affluent white community, and they're going through something with, um, I don't think it's BP, but I can't remember what gas company it is, but they're releasing gas, toxic gas in the air. And so this community, these people have had to be evacuated, and this has been going on for a while. And they brought some national, some national attention to it, but they don't keep the focus on it. So it's, the, the people, the powers that be, they just want to do their hush-hush thing and keep it under wraps. And we got to keep people in their position, whether their position is we're going to keep them sick and wanting, you know, pharmaceuticals, keep them going to the doctor, whatever it is. We're going to keep our, our pockets being padded no matter how we have to do it. Um, and And the other part of the racism is, well, you know what, poor people are so busy trying to survive they're not even going to notice or say anything about the fact that their hair is falling out, say anything about the fact that they've got rashes or that they're coughing or whatever it is that's going on. And so, you know, we do have to look at everything that's going on. I appreciate what you said as far as, you know, not necessarily looking at what's going on across the country, but looking in your own neighborhood and going to the meetings and reading the little community papers and speaking up when you see things, cleaning up your neighborhood. I think um, the, the gentleman's name is Corey when he said looking at a small section at a time. Um, then the other thing that I want to bring up is you said how do we how do we change it? How do we not just wait until something is just so egregious that we, we've got to be up in arms about it? Um, you know, how do, how do we take care of things? And I think it is for so long we had these national leaders, and, and speaking of the black community, we had these black leaders and, you know, Martin Luther King and Jesse Jackson and all of that, and we haven't had any leaders like that, which is fine because we need to be our own leaders. We need to be a leader in our community because the community I live in in Georgia is different from the community Tammy lives in in Memphis. It's different from the community that you live in. And so we have to look at what's going on in our community, and it's the grassroots, it's the everyday people, the mom and pops, the neighbors next door who need to lead the charge. And just like um, you all have been saying, lead the charge in their own household, talk to the young people, find out what's going on in the schools. So many people are so busy sleepwalking through life, and when something is going great, they don't want to rock the boat. It's like, oh, things are going great. Let's keep them going great just as long as they can. And so I don't want to bring up, oh, well, I noticed there's a, there's a foul order, odor coming from my water. You know, I just, no, it's just it's nothing. Things are going too well. The economy's going good here. I've got a job now. Um, you know, the kids are going doing well in school. So we sleepwalk looking for those times of those, those quote-unquote good times in life, and let's just hold on to them as long as we can. And then when the bottom completely drops out, you know, then we've got to say something about it. And that is, you know, and, and, of course, that's too late. That's when all of these, you know, maladies happen in our lives and we're looking at a crisis situation. So we do have to be proactive and stop being reactionary. Uh, and I do think it starts with going to the local meetings, like you said, and, and having the conversations 
with the people in your household about, you know, what's going on, getting around the dinner table, and actually asking what happened in school today. Um, You know, I I remember my daughter when she was in high school, no, middle school, she told me that her teacher was cussing at them. I said, I don't understand. What do you mean your teacher is cussing at you? I don't send you to school for your teacher to cuss at you. And, you know, no, he's cracking jokes and he's doing all this other stuff, but yet she's got a C in math. So I go to school and I'm, you know, having a discussion with him, and he's just like, oh, well, you know, Kamari doesn't laugh at my jokes anymore. I said, well, that's because I told her that's not her job. Her job is to get the information <laughs> from from you, and, and your job isn't to be up there cracking jokes. And, and truth be told, she told me you're in there cursing, and I don't send her to school to be cursed. If she doesn't get cursed at, at home, I don't expect her to be cursed at, at school. And he kind of turned all red and, you know, all of this. But I said, no, no, you need to be about the business of teaching, but I would not have known that if I hadn't set it up in my household that, no, we're going to sit around this table and we're going to talk. When we're driving from point A to point B, we're going to talk. When I ask you how was your day, you don't just get to say it was fine. You need to tell me what that means. And, and so we mm. have to have those conversations. Wow. You know what? Wow. You, <laughs> we, 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 we need more mothers and fathers uh, like you that, that will do uh, those types of things, and, and I will say this, and, and I'm going to bring in um, our next caller because we're, we're they're starting to add up on me, so I don't want to uh, keep people waiting. But I do want to say this: um, we cannot worry about, or or we cannot focus on things only when they are trending on uh, social media. Uh-huh. And I remember. Uh, somebody, you know, brought that point up when Lamar Odom was going through his ordeal uh, last summer. Uh, And uh I believe it was Darnell Dockett, and he said, last week everybody was calling Lamar Odom a crackhead. Now this week everybody's prayers for Lamar, you know, God bless Lamar and all of these things. And so when that was over, a few days later, when the media started talking about it, nobody cared about Lamar Odom anymore. I guarantee you, if you ask people, hey, how's Lamar Odom doing now? Nobody knows because nobody cares anymore. Uh, but I guarantee you, uh-huh. there, there's been something published about Lamar Odom. But the point is we have to stop promoting things or seeing things as important only when they are trending. No one should tell you what's important to you. You have to make that determination. Right. And you have to always live your life like that. Uh, Ms. Lisa, thank you so much for calling in. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. One more thing about social media, though. I think it desensitizes us. You know, all of these fights, all of these things that we see, we wait to figure out what's going on, and we look on social media, and then we want to be up in arms about it, but we don't want to say anything afterwards. So you're absolutely right. All of this, you know, we, we have to know what's going on despite what's going on on social media because, you know, some of the things that are going on social media aren't true anyhow. So we need to know what the real deal is. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much for calling in, and we hope that you'll continue to listen. Definitely. Thank you. Have a good evening, gentlemen. All right. You too. Uh, We're going to bring in our next caller, my brother from the Big Easy, Brother Trent. What's going on? What's going going on? on? (laughs) What's going on, brother? What's going on? It's been a minute. What's going on? What's up, Corey? Everything's good. (laughs) Everything's good, man. Everything's good. Um, man, let's let's go back to what Corey was talking about, what you guys were talking about as far as minority. Um, honestly, I believe that as far as when you talk about minorities, let's uh, let's pull some numbers here real quick. Uh, there's about 3.3 million Muslims in the United States as of 2015. We know how many people, how many African Americans, how many Black folk are here 
in the United States. We're not the minority. That's what mm. they want us to believe. So we don't control the media. We don't control all these outlets where the access to, to place anything that they want, any type of content, any time of day that they want instantly. So once we get out of that delusional state, we're going to be fine. But here's where we are, the minorities. The minorities are the leaders in the black communities that are not taking control of these communities. Let's talk about Flint for a second. There's about roughly 99,000 people in Flint. Let's just say 75 to 80% of them are black. I used to live up north. And those numbers, let's just say about you know 75 to 80% are black folk, which are quote-unquote minorities. They knew that was taking place years and years ago when they were channeling that water. Now these kids are running around here sick with this lead in their systems. But, yeah, you fault the government for that. But where are these black leaders, where are these representatives who knew these kids were getting sick? There's a whole bunch of people need to be held responsible, not just the governor, not just the guy from the, what, what is it, the EPA or whatever, but hey, mm-hmm. some, of these, some of these representatives in these areas. You know, yes. that's why we're the minorities. We're talking about the guys that refuse, the African-Americans and uh, the Muslims and all these other folks refuse to take control of their communities. That's the problem. We win yeah. in numbers. We win in numbers. And as long as we're in a delusional state of that, we're the minority, we're going to continue sleepwalking through life. We're going to continue sleepwalking, going in and saying, okay, yeah, this is what the man says. Well, this is the numbers mm-hmm. here. This is what they say. I refuse to believe that, and I refuse to accept that as African Americans, we're the minority. I don't believe that. That's wow. a good point. I, I I always say that about uh I always say that about my school training that um you know we we my school is actually seventy five percent or or even more than that of what mm-hmm. is considered a minority, but really the whites are the minority in our school. Exactly. Because every every group that is considered a minority, meaning the the African Americans, the Hispanics the Asians, exactly. the the Native Americans, the Muslims, you know, make up about seventy five to eighty percent of the school. Exactly. However, it, and and that's our school system. Our school system is made up of mostly free and reduced lunch kids. But guess who's running the school system? That small twenty percent uh-huh. is running the school system. You know, every time I hear the word minority, uh, this picture in my head comes up with. This uh, this mule that's uh, tied to this lawn chair. Now that mule really thinks that he can't move because he see the the rope tied to that lawn chair. He could break free any time he gets ready. But his mindset, he's he his mindset is I got to get this work done for boss. I got to get this. I got to get this work done for boss. I got to wait here until he comes back to move me. That's bullshit. Mm. That's bullshit. So once you know, I had a conversation. I had a conversation with Anthony uh, on Saturday on our show, and we were talking about uh, minorities and and whatnot. And we, uh, one of the calls came up, and they, they were talking about how the Ku Klux Klan they could rally and get protection by the police. So I stopped the call and I say, hey, you know why they could actually rally and get protected by the police? Because they are the minorities. 
The reason why we get harassed when we go out here marching in the streets, because there's a whole bunch of you niggas. They want to control <laughs> that. Yeah. And that's just that's just being honest, bro. That's just being honest. And they they want to control that. Wow. So once we once we get it out of our minds that we're the we're the minorities, I'll be damned if I be called a minority. No, I'm not. I create wow. my land and I keep continue to move in it. So I'm not gonna. I'll never tell my child that she's a minority. No, you're not. You're not. You're not a minority. Man, I I knew. I said this brother is coming with something. <laughs> uh, Corey, you want to jump back in here real quick? Oh yeah, you, you know you know I got to now. Come on now. <laughs> hey man, I miss you. I miss you guys, man. I really miss you guys. I miss you guys. I haven't heard Same you guys here, in a minute. Stay here, brother. And now, let me let me pick it back off what he was talking about. Now, the word minority did not come into play into the civil rights movement. It was right during that time when they started doing doing a lot of uh, the NAACP was at fault for this. It was during a time where they we was getting we was beginning to win a lot of lawsuits. Right about that time, we would start asking for equality within the government grants. So what they did was they they introduced introduced this word minority. They did it for a purpose. It's because when White people started going for grants; they couldn't get them because there was no just for a racial justification for that. Because as a population, they were the majority. So what they did was they came out and said, "Okay, what we're going to do? We're going to create these fancy words so we can simplify to you when to use this word." So they came out with mm. called hub zones. So in a hub zone, which is a poor neighborhood that is made of my majority black folks, if you go out and put a business business, not run the business. But have your main office in a hub zone, you become a minority. That means you are the least of the population. Therefore, you can go get this government grant before a black person because you're the only minority oh. in the area. That's deep. See, see. So we have to look at the beginning part of it. no. We are with every presidential race, other than other than Barack Obama, has been has been decided by blacks. That's why they call mm-hmm. when you run to your church during political time because they know. 49 to 50, 49% to of the white vote is going to be split between Republicans and Democrats. Everything else is made up of the blacks. Hispanics has not really been a big force as of yet. They're beginning mm-hmm. to take on their, on their role since, since Trump been there. So at what point were we the minority in any political race? We've been a majority. Because that exactly. means all of, our votes, all of our votes has been focused in one area. Which has always been a Democrat, which to me is crazy. But we've always we always vote the same way, so we are a, yeah. a majority in that, in that retrospect. Now we gave up that, that that whole majority fact when we start buying into the minority mindset, like Trent was saying. We when we bought into it, we we get to accept it. Now you throw in me being a majority, me being a minority. Now not only am I a minority, then I'm a woe is me type person where everything has to be done and equated to what white people do. Or what another mm-hmm. race does. Then you turn around and tell me, okay, look, I got all these movie stars making all this money, but none of them own a theater. Something wrong with that picture. <laughs> Everybody wants to complain about the Oscars. Y'all made all this money, and y'all complain about this Oscar, but y'all could go out and make y'all own Oscar. Y'all own it. All, all y'all got to do is get together and open up a exactly. theater in the same location with all the other and put in what movies you want. But you don't want to do it because hey. you, that we we like being the woe is me race because it makes us feel good because that's when white people exactly. pay attention to us. Now, I'll leave. take out the voice. Go ahead. Sorry about that. I'm going to go. I'm, I'm, I'm so bad. Go ahead, Trent. I, I'll, leave you good, <laughs> I'll leave you good brothers with this. 
And this is some good stuff here, man. Um, actually, I saw Lisa comment, and I, I kind of forgot about the shots. I, I get the the things every week for the shows, and when I saw it, I was like, oh, they're going in. So, but but to to get to, get to that that whole minority thing, if and I'm speaking to the black the, the black listeners at this point, if we were the minority, how in the hell are we pumping billions of dollars into this economy every year? If we were the, were the minorities. How in the hell are we driving fashion? We're driving everything. They follow us, period. We set the stamp. We put the seal of approval on that. But just like Corey was just saying, that mindset, that woe is me mindset, have them so comfortable in that state that they say, you know what, let me go up there and get these stamps. That's bullshit. That's mm-hmm. bullshit. And if you look at the numbers as far as as far as federal aid and and, and and government assistance, we're not leading in that. We're not winning in that. <laughs> Man, y'all going to make us have to look. Tammy said uh, we have to do a part two. I'm going to say this real quick, and then I know Trent has to go, and we're going to start winding down anyway. But I want uh, Trent to give out uh, his information, uh, especially about his show before he goes. But I'm going to say this. I, I saw this uh, a few days ago, um, and so I'm just going to put this out there. What if every black athlete only went to HBCUs? <laughs> I, I, answer the <laughs> I can answer that question for you. <laughs> I got answer for you. <laughs> right, right, right out. You know, know when that happened? Right after Reconstruction. No, actually, we're doing the Reconstruction hmm. period. During the Reconstruction period, when, when it was the only time, actually, it was really the only time we actually had any, any growth in our economic system for blacks. The only time where we owned more businesses, more property, at any point in time we had a community. We had the, the best lawyers. We had the best lawyers. People was lining up to get lawyers for, from historical black colleges. You had Carver. All of them was coming out of these historical black colleges. All right? Now, it's not until after Reconstruction where we started falling off. But if you want to answer that question, start studying Reconstruction. What did we do during that period? Right slow your brothers the, down, man. Think about <laughs> it. If, if, if you want to research something about us, research that brief period right there, and that'll give you a light of what we're capable of doing. Not again, white folks, but that's what, that's what we're capable of doing. So if we want to study something, it's not the slavery movement. It's not after Reconstruction. You notice nobody ever talks about Reconstruction. Nobody ever brings their period. That's what I always harp on. Mm. That brief period right there will give you a light of our capabilities or who we are, what we're capable of doing, and where we should be trying to go. Now your question mm. right there, Rodney. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. And, and I really do want people to, 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 to really, uh, number one, do what you just said, Corey, but number two, really think about that. Think about especially football and basketball and think about these uh these uh top universities and think about who are their star players and what would happen if all the black ones only went to HBCUs. Trent, I know you gotta go man, but before you go give out your information for us, man, so that the people can check you out, brother. Hey man, um actually Anthony and I have actually joined uh and combined companies. Tell Kennedy Media and Vibration Radio is now one. And that's uh, your radio networks, and they could catch us on the app at um, YRN 1328. They could download the app uh, in the Apple Store, the Google Store, and everything is absolutely free. Get the encouragement, 
24-7 streaming of uh, our past shows with our hosts uh, across the country. And just wire in 1328, download the app. Everything's absolutely free. When are you guys when are you guys normally on, Trent? Uh, Monday through Friday. No, actually okay. Monday through Sunday. So it's seven days a week. Okay. And what time? Seven, seven days a week. Seven days a week that we start at we start seven central, uh eight Eastern on Mondays. No, actually Pacific time, nine central, seven Pacific. Because the host out there, he's on on the West Coast. Um on Tuesdays, uh you get the beautiful butterfly show at 6.30 Eastern, which is 5, 5.30 Central. Wednesday out of Atlanta, uh, 9.00 Eastern, with the Price is Mine show. Uh, Thursday, again, beautiful butterfly show, 6.30 Eastern. Uh, Friday, conversation with Trent, 8 o'clock uh, Central. On Saturday mornings, Anthony and myself with Your Energy, Your World, at 11 a.m. Central. And on um, Sundays, is Anthony and uh, B-Fly show at 2 o'clock uh, Central time. So, and they can actually go to the website, www.yourradionetworks.com, and they'll be able to get the schedule there. I appreciate you, Rodney. Hey, man, I miss you guys, and hopefully I can tune in uh, much sooner here because you guys were getting it in here. <laughs> Same here, man, and uh, we'll definitely catch up with you soon, man. No doubt, brother. Okay, Corey. All right, man. All right, All right man. Take it easy. Uh, okay, uh, brother. Corey, I'm going to uh, – as I – as I uh, wind down here, uh, I'm going to end the show by reading off uh, something. So uh, any final words from you before I uh, uh, give my uh, final comments? No, I, I just want us to stop trying to point fingers and start finding solutions. Uh, we must focus on our kids. We, must, we, must, we have to get this right. We have, must get it right soon. If not, the next 30, 100-plus years, we'll still be having the same conversation. Uh, we just need to start focusing on solutions, coming together having events where we, as one, even though we don't agree on everything, but as one where we can start networking and getting, getting amongst each other and finding a solution and finding ways of making this thing right. Amen to that, brother. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close by reading this uh, from, the, from the Huffington Post, um, and it comes from Michael Moore, the, uh, the, uh, the movie director, and, and it says, 10 things they won't tell you about the Flint water tragedy, uh, but I will. And it says, number one, um, and Dr. Coretta, um brought this, brought this up earlier, it says, while the children in Flint were given poison water to drink, General Motors was given a special hookup to the clean water. Number two, for just $100 a day, the crisis could have been prevented. Number three, there's more than the lead in Flint's water. You guys need to read up on that. Number four, people's homes in Flint are now worth nothing because they can't be sold. Number five, while they were being poisoned, they were also being bombed. And I'll read into this one a little bit. It says, here's a story which has received little or no coverage outside of Flint. During these two years of water contamination, residents in Flint have had to contend with a decision made by the Pentagon to use Flint for target practice, literally actual unannounced military exercises complete with live ammo and explosives were conducted last year inside the city of Flint. And you can read more of that. And I'll post this, uh, this article uh, on our Facebook page. Number six, the wife of the governor's chief of staff is a spokeswoman for Nestle 
which is Michigan's largest owner of private water reserves. Number seven, in Michigan, from Flint water to crime and murder to GM ignition switches, it's a culture of death. Number eight, don't call it Detroit water. It's the largest source of fresh drinking water in the world. And I'm going to read into this one a little bit. It says, the media keeps saying Flint was using Detroit's water. However, it's only filtered and treated at the Detroit water plant. The water itself comes from Lake Huron, the third largest body of fresh water in the world. It is a glacier lake formed over 10,000 years ago during the last ice age, and it is still fed by pure underground springs. Flint is geographically the last place on earth where one should be drinking poisoned water. Number nine, all the children have been exposed, as have all the adults, including me. Number 10, this was done like so many things these days so the rich could get a big tax break. Guys, we want to thank you all so much for tuning in to our show tonight. We hope that something that was said tonight will not only inspire you to make sure that this doesn't happen in Flint again, but to also make sure that tragedies like this don't hit your hometown pretty soon. Tammy wanted me to tell you all that she apologized, but she had to step away for an emergency that she had within her own home. But she does send her love to all of you guys. We hope that you have a blessed week. We hope that you have a great night. And we'll see you next Monday, same time, same station. Good night, everybody.
Travel to the seven 